What We Value, the podcast. Hello and welcome to What We Value, a podcast by Deutsche Telekom aiming to inspire and support young people on their volunteering journey. Listen to insightful conversations between me, your host, Jacqueline Azza, and a diverse range of guests from across Europe, from high profile and action oriented young activists to volunteering project leaders. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the What We Value. Today, we are with Jakini Bislink, and we're talking about the importance of Gen Z in volunteering and what we bring and add to the sector. Thank you so much, Jakini, for joining us. I was stalking you before this, and you are so awesome. Um, I'm really excited to get into this conversation to talk about everything. Can you start off with telling everybody about yourself and how your day is going? Hi, Jacqueline. Well, the same goes for you. The usual Instagram stalking before rent has been done. Just checking out all the amazing things that you've been doing. So it's a pleasure to be here today. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I'm doing great. It's my last day of vacation. So it's always this double feeling of joy. On the one hand side, you're still on vacation. And on the other hand, you're excited to go home and do all the stuff that you're looking forward to. Um, so yeah, yeah, I'm doing great. And that's also why you might hear some uh, background music, classical and uh, jazz covers from 2008 pop songs. <laughs> and um yeah, so about me, I've worked at the United Nations as a, a youth representative to the United Nations, which is a really um, fun and, and cool job. Uh, what you basically do is you travel around the country to speak with young people from all over the Netherlands to see what they find important with regards to human rights. And then you take their input to the United Nations in New York or in uh, Geneva to negotiate resolutions, to give speeches, um, and basically make sure that the voice of young people is being heard in those, uh, in those places. That's amazing. Um, so your holiday is over. So you're a university student? Now my mandate has ended. Um, so I've set up my own consultancy form because I started thinking, you know, a lot of the decisions that are being made about our future are being made at the United Nations, of course, but also in businesses, NGOs, education, um um, other types of organizations. So that's why I started my consultancy firm in which I go to those places and make sure that they understand what Generation Z is all about and that they make sure that Generation Z is represented um, in the decision-making level in those organizations as well. You gave your first speech at the age of 18 during the General Assembly of the United Nations. Why do you think it's so important for young people to raise their voice and be heard? Well, I think there's an argument that could be made when you say like, okay, look, Jen said, is such a large demographic of the world. It's imperative that you start looking at them and understanding them from the viewpoint of them being um, the new colleagues. For example, one fourth of the workforce will be Gen Z by the year 2025. They will be the new consumers for uh, businesses. So that is one argument that you could make. Uh, but personally, I think that this is not the most interesting one, because if you look at figures from uh, UNESCO, you see that more than half of the world population is young. So not specifically Gen Z, but young, so under 30 in their, um, uh, following their definition. 
So with that in mind, you know, we're always saying young people are the future, but actually we are becoming the present. Um, so in a way, I think it's a moral obligation to involve young people in all of those decisions that are being made, especially at the UN, because there we are constantly discussing things like uh, our healthcare system, education, how we resolve conflicts. And a lot of those themes disproportionately still affect young people. So um, to, to make a long answer short, I think it's a moral obligation to really involve our voices uh, in the decision-making process. Yeah, 100,000%. I feel like young people have a certain perspective that's fresh, that's new, and we there are things that affect us too. Like I know in America, we have the student loan argument all the time because school is so expensive here. So, so many of these issues are affecting us because like you said, we're slowly becoming, not slowly, we are the present actually because I pay bills now. These things are expensive. So (laughs) (laughs) these things are directly impacting us. So we deserve to have our voices heard and to inspire the next generation to get into volunteering as young as we did because you gave your first speech at 18. I started my activism journey at like 17. So, you know, it'll help the world if we have a a seat at the table. You've been driving, speaking of all these generations collaborating, you've been driving intergenerational dialogue through your consultancy. And and plus as a former United Nations delegate, amazing. Can you tell us about the importance of Gen Z connecting with other generations? We touched on this with last week with Ishan, but I would love to get your perspective on this as well. What we see right now with our generation is that a lot of the challenges that we are facing um, simply cross national borders, right? When we talk about climate, when we talk about uh, refugee crises, when we talk about uh, the corona pandemic, for example, all of those things simply cross borders. So we grow up in a time where we have this more than ever before, which makes Um, that we as a generation often feel quite connected with each other in the challenges that we are facing um, um, rather than we than we are connected sometimes with um, yeah our national identities and I think especially also and we can talk about this a bit later as well but especially because of technology we are able to empathize with a lot of young people from all over the world much better as well. So for example, um, I remember when the war in Ukraine just started um, and I went on TikTok, there were a lot of videos from young people my age, sometimes a bit younger, uh, teenagers, young people in their young 20s, sharing videos, how they do very mundane stuff that you and I could do as well, right? Just going to the club, going to school, having drinks with friends, and then showing the real uh, the, the reality of war and how all of those places are destroyed, how they have to flee their country. And um, um, by seeing that online and being able to connect with them so well, also, I think, evokes a lot of empathy from young people all over the world to to really feel with and 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 get into action um out of sense out of a sense of empathy towards the situation of other young people yes i can relate to what you said about gen z having being frustrated with the inactivity in the other generations 
During the protest here in America, I was very active. And I think the number one, or not number one, maybe like the top three most frustrating things during that time was how disconnected all the generations were on what to, how to move forward with what we were given. And it was so interesting to me because of how different the politics are. Everybody always talks about the politics being different between like, you know, races and genders, but they don't talk about how different the politics are between generations of like the same race of the same gender. You know what I'm saying? So it's very important to sit down with all these these leaders in these intergenerational spaces and to come to some common ground because as you said we may be the, the the ones with the hot new fresh ideas that are very innovative but they're the ones who hold the office positions yeah and i mean i think that this is an interesting thing because when you look at our generation so generation Z, I feel like we are this very active generation we're very activistic we're very raw we go out on the streets we demonstrate we lobby we organize ourselves we really make sure that we are being or trying to be heard right but at the end of the day when you look at those people who are still in positions of power that actually call the shots uh, a lot of politicians a lot of policymakers, a lot of people in executive positions in 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 um, businesses to say it quite bluntly they are usually still quite old um so at the end of the day, I think that it's imperative. We need to work together with those young people and those people who are now calling the shots. Because if we wait till we have those positions of power for a lot of challenges like climate change, it will simply be too late. So I think that's it's simply needed. But on a less practical note, I also see, and I'm, I'm curious to hear that how mm. this is for you, Jacqueline, that um, there's a lot of frustration within a lot of our uh, generation, I think rightfully so sometimes, with the fact that there has been so much inaction and that inaction usually comes from not a whole generation, but it it's something that we sometimes associate with the people who have been in positions of power for a long time, that they have done so, fair, too little, um, especially when it comes to climate change, of course, again. Um, so you, you, I feel this frustration with a lot of activists and a lot of people that do a lot of volunteering. And the other way around, uh, because I go to a lot of companies and I talk about Generation Z, I also feel a lot of frustration from their side. Like, they don't understand how we like to communicate. They don't understand why we can be so blunt at times, so direct. Sometimes they also have the stereotypes that we are lazy, we don't want to work, we don't take criticism well. Um, and of course, from both sides, I mean, there's something to say and, and, and there's also a bit of judgment or bias as well. But what I hope to do is really make everyone work together and understand each other better. Because as I said before, on a very practical note, we need that collaboration in order to face the challenges that we are, uh, that we are facing today. We talked about why for the world it's good that Gen Z gets you know, their seat at the table to talk to it. But like personally for every Gen Zer, why do you think it's important to the indiv- the individual, you know, Gen Z activists to be a part of something bigger? Yeah, we have such an interesting generation. Um, 
I was just thinking about the fact that um, a few years back I was at a conference, the G20. I think a lot of people will know it, but it's basically a conference where the 20 largest economies, uh, the, the countries with the largest economies, come together and basically talk about what they want to prioritize, what they want to focus on for the coming um, few years. Um, and you also had a U20, which is basically from all those countries, they send in young people, youth representatives um, to talk with each other. And whilst we were there, there was this slogan that we came up with um, and I loved it so much. It was not a nation, but a generation. And I thought it was so nice because when you look at a lot of the challenges that we are facing those simply cross borders, right? When you talk about um, a refugee crisis, when you talk about a climate crisis, uh, the corona pandemic, I think would be a great example of that as well. All those things, all the challenges that we are facing more and more and more are crossing borders. So at the end of the day, this enables us to have a lot of empathy with each other um, as a generation as one. Well. One of the things that really um, reinforces that, and perhaps we can talk about it a bit later, is of course technology, because um, yeah, again, it, it enables us to empathize. I remember there was um, a, a girl on TikTok, or well, actually several people, um, just when the war started in Ukraine. And the girl uh, in, in that I'm talking about, she was our age. I think she was around 20, 22. She showed us what her life was like doing all the mundane stuff that a normal teenager or 20-year-old would do, right? And then she showed us the different side, how she fled, what her life was like on the run, uh, leaving behind all her friends, uh, uh, all the memories that she had in her hometown. Simply being able to see that and being able to, to recognize the similarities that we have in the hobbies that we do, the type of, uh, you know, just simply chilling with your friends. I think this invokes a, a special type of empathy amongst a whole generation. So not just a nation, but an entire generation. Yes, I love that. The connectedness between, between each other. It's a it's a different type of feeling meeting another youth activist or volunteer because I I no matter from what it doesn't matter what sector of activism it could be environmental it could be reproductive rights like every single time I meet somebody who is you know in the sector like I am it's such a it's such a feeling and a level of understanding that's automatically there and that's so important because it gives us purpose you know especially us being this young and like our twenties and our teens and having to go through, we go, we have experienced so much like international turmoil, like to be 20, to be 16, 17, 18, 19 in a generation more than like some of the other generations have. So. Yeah, exactly. And just one thing I think, um, while you were saying that I was also thinking about the mental health aspect of volunteering and being activistic, right? Uh, there's a lot that comes with 
well, just being busy, occupying yourself, occupying your mind with a lot of, well, usually it's not a lot of positive things, right? We have to worry about gun violence. We have to worry about climate change. We have to worry about racism, for example, uh, uh, stuff in our healthcare that's not going right. Well, you name it. Yes, because I know from like what my parents tell me and you know, the millennials, even some millennials, I know some millennials are younger, but even for the younger millennials, talking about mental health was not a thing when they were, you know, our, our age, they never talked about it. It was kind of like um, a taboo thing. And so the fact that I can get on TikTok and I can see all these, like, you know, it, some of them are jokes, but it's those type of jokes where you laugh and then you feel better because you know, you're not alone. And I love that about our generation, how I could just go on Twitter and laugh and go on TikTok and laugh. Even Instagram, I can go and laugh because we're all we're all going through this together. So what are some of the different qualities, like um, specific qualities that do you think young people bring to the table of, you know, that is very specific to Gen Z that other generations don't bring? I mean, generations are an interesting thing because... Um, we have to realize that the baby boomers were once the hippies as well, right? So also when we speak about this activism of Gen Z, I think for a part you could think about it could be the fact that it lies in, um, well, the fact that we are young and some things are very specific to the way that we are formed as a generation, right? In our young years, in our formative years. Um, but I mean, one of the things that I like to think and that I like to say to other people as well is that young people are experts in being young. And this might sound a bit silly, um, but what you basically see, um, and I wonder how this is for you as well, sometimes you feel or you, you hear about this imposter syndrome and perhaps this is the same for some of you listening as well, that you feel like, okay, you know, I'm 20, I'm 18, I'm 25 years old. What kind of expertise do I have? What do I have to offer? What do I have to share? Once you get invited to a town hall meeting or perhaps sit down with politicians or CEOs. But at the end of the day, we are experts in being young. We know what it's like to be young, the challenges that we face, the type of communication that we prefer to have amongst each other. And this is quite valuable information. Um, I think it's important that we don't compare ourselves or put ourselves in the position of being a professor or being someone who has 20 or 30 years of expertise. We don't need to try and speak the jargon of those companies or those organizations. We don't have to dress like them and all of that stuff in order to be taken serious. We can stay young um, and our expertise is simply being young. So use that to your to your um, own benefit, I would say. And the second thing is that we are not strangled. We are not strangled in interest. So, I, and I mean, that's a beautiful thing. When we go up and speak up against, well, it could be the president of the United States or whoever it is, we don't have to fear 
about losing our job, losing our income, a way to pay the mortgage, you know. For us, that's no worry. So that's a really uh, powerful thing, which is not the same for young people volunteering and speaking out all over the world, which I think is important to be said as well. Um, and thirdly and lastly, one of the things that really makes us uh, very strong in our activism, I think, is that we have a fresh perspective and you said this before as well Jacqueline I mean um, we are not rusted into old structures and we don't do things simply because it has always been done that way we ask questions where it is effective whether we should do something different and I think just those three things on the top of my head are three things that really um, make us quite powerful in the volunteering that we are doing Yes. I think something that you said that really stood out to me is um, why should I be in that room? And I've, <clears throat> I know I've dealt with this a lot. I think the word is imposter syndrome. Um, it's when you feel like you internally, like you don't deserve to be in a space because of something. And I'm pretty sure it's something that every youth activist, volunteer, co-founder, anybody who's in the sector in any type of level can agree can relate to because when you're young, they make you feel like you're naive and you don't know what you're talking about and that you should not be here or like, oh, cute. Like, oh, it's this little activist trying to save the world. How adorable. Let's give them some, you know, camera time to show off like, you know, what they want to do with the world. And it's very cute and it's heartfelt and warm. But sometimes we don't want to be heartfelt and warm. Sometimes we want to be fire and rage and want to be heard and you know, I want what we're saying to be taken seriously. Um, have you dealt with imposter syndrome? Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, Jacqueline, how you've dealt with that personally, because uh, from my Instagram stalking, <laughs> I have seen that you are in some quite powerful rooms with a lot of like politicians, for example. So I can imagine um, that you have had this experience as well. But to be very, very honest, I mean, imposter syndrome is something that I'm still dealing with. It's not like completely gone. Um, I guess it would be so for most people. But one of the things that I try to tell myself um, and I try to tell other people as well is what I said before, you know, we are experts in being young. And when you enter a room, uh, you have different types of roles, right? Usually you would see people there who have a PhD that are like really successful in an academic sphere. You would have people there that have a gazillion years, like 20, 30 years of experience in advising the government or policymaking, for example. But I think it's important for us to realize that when you get invited as a young activist or with your youth organization, for example, in such a specific room that you are invited there not as an academic, not as an, uh, someone who has 20 or 30 years of experience. You're invited there because you are young, you have a new perspective and they're interested in the things that you are doing. So don't try to mold yourself into being the professor by looking up all sorts of research statistics and basing 
basing everything what you say on 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 that for example if that is not what you are doing uh, just be yourself it sounds a bit cringy but realize that your added value is being young and to be very very honest in my experience especially at the un a lot of those people there sincerely have very little clue of what goes on in our life as youngsters and i mean of course the obvious things are like okay how does snapchat work and how do you use a filter on instagram to make selfies but not only that but also things like okay how do we talk about our mental health as gen setters how do we like to be employed what kind of uh, societal issues do we care about so Believe me, trust me, you will have an added value at the table. And that's so important, right, to just stay young. So, I mean, uh, I, I often hear people saying, oh, it's so good that you're activistic or that you set up your own organization. And I'm just thinking to myself, okay, but I mean, I appreciate it, of course, but at the end of the day, I think for most young people, um, perhaps also the people listening right now, I don't think all of us wake up thinking like, ooh, let's protest today, let's occupy a government building, let's, uh, you know, spend our entire days uh, talking about gun violence or, well, uh, education, uh, healthcare. A lot of us would rather just go to the movies, chill with our friends, I don't know, party, whatever you prefer to do as a teenager or young adult. But for a lot of young people, activism is not a choice, but a bare necessity, or at least for a lot of us, I think it feels like that. For example, when you look at young people from the Pacific Islands um, um, that that are fighting against climate change and the climate crisis, they are literally just losing their houses, losing the schools where they uh, grew up, their entire community, the grounds are just vanishing. So I think for those people, when you talk about activism, this is not just a hobby, you know, it's really a a bare necessity. And I think the same goes for a lot of other topics, uh, the Black Lives Matter uh, protests, but also, for example, protests against gun violence, for example. Those are not protests that, you know, uh, are, are, are very light subjects no this really feels like a matter of life and that in a lot of cases so um yeah i think activism is for a lot of people it's not a choice but really a bare necessity to be really quite honest i'm still dealing with it because i feel like the more you the more you get more work underneath your belt and people want to hear your voice and they see you as like a a, a, a leader in the community you get to higher places and i feel like the more important the places get it's a new level of imposter syndrome that I have to you know talk myself out of but I'm still learning and I'm still figuring it out but how I've dealt with it in the past um and even currently right now is 100% it has to be my community the people around me um telling me like oh you're so deserving of this and you know they're like look at this look what you did here and look at listen to your speech here and it helps me get confidence in myself having a community around me of people who you know care not about 
Jacqueline the activist, but Jacqueline the person. Because I feel like sometimes it's really hard to separate as a as a young person. It's hard to separate like your activism from like, you know, who you are because an activist is just a part of who we are, a part of what we do, but it's not who we are 24-7. We're also artists and singers and, and so many other things like cooks and, you know, whatever you want to be. So you have to maintain your identity outside of that and also have people around you and even your own manifestations, your morning manifestations. Go into the mirror and say to yourself every single morning, like, I am that girl. I am that girl. I'm, I'm right. I'm in this space because I deserve to be here, um, especially like specifically with all the different identities I have in the space. Cause it's so many different layers to, to oppression, you know, and adversity. Yeah. Like being young is one thing. And then also being a woman is another thing. And then also being um, LGBT is an LGBTQ plus is another thing. And then being like, you know, a minority is another thing. And it's so many different layers. So, yeah. So I spoke about this a bit before, but of course I think one of the things that technology enables us to do is really have a lot of empathy for other generations. I just mentioned, you know, the, the girl from Ukraine with her TikTok channel, but um, I think it's also the day-to-day things that we see from each other that really resemble um, each other's lives. And I feel like um, I could have a lot of inside jokes with you right now, Jacqueline, without even knowing each other, just because we might be on the same TikTok algorithm. We might know the same sounds, the same political discussions that are going on. So we have a lot of references with each other. And I might have more of this with you, someone who lives like thousands and thousands of miles away from me, than I might have with my own neighbor who is perhaps uh, 60 years old, you know. And I'm not sure this is not always a, a positive thing because it's important to connect with different generations as well. But this is a very strong bond that a lot of gen setters have with each other. But another thing is that when you look at protest movements, for example, like 30 or 40 years ago, of course, they were still there. A lot of the activism that we are doing today stands on the shoulders of our parents and our grandparents. But back then, the movements were usually quite regional or national. And what you see right now is that a lot of those protest movements and activistic movements, they become global within days. Let's say the climate strikes movement, the Black Lives Matter movements, those are two perfect examples of that. And we see the, 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 the power that lies in being able to connect with each other via technology when it comes to um, being activistic. I love that you just said that. That is so amazing. I love that you just said that because it's so it's so true. It's like, do you think I want to do this for like, I don't want to be and I, I don't want there even to be a need in the world for activists. Maybe for like little tiny things like, you know, town hall meetings, like who gets to speak first, like moderators, but I don't want there to be a need for like people who have to advocate for life, you know, because it's it's not because I wanted, like, I'm, I'm, I want to do this because I have to, because it's, it directly impacts our identities. You know what I'm saying? So I love that you said that so much. That's great. That, that, that's, I'm going to definitely take that with me. How do, how do you think technology intersected with all of this helps us? Oh, good one. I think um, it would be even better for you to comment on this, Jacqueline, because I think you have more experience doing a lot of work within and with 
the community more than I have uh, perhaps. Um, but I feel like one of the things that I appreciate uh, when working with other people, activists uh, online, is that there's someone in the group or that we are using a platform to communicate on that has some sort of organization. So we know what happens with our data. We know what happens with our phone numbers, that there's perhaps someone who's an admin or who's able to set some sort of ground rules for what is okay, what is not okay. Also just with the ways that you communicate with each other, that you be kind, that you be polite to each other, all of that stuff. Social media and TikTok, I, like I... I don't even need to be here. Like, you can just, can you talk? Like, you, everything you say, I agree with because, like, you're you're hitting so many points, perspectives from around the world that I would have never seen if it wasn't for technology. Like, I don't know how people are in other areas of the world if if it wasn't for media. You know, so it creates a certain level of empathy and understanding about the different perspectives of people who are going which going through what you're going through all around the world. There are also some disadvantages of you know, technology because, and I feel like it's on the side of how we decide to use it. So what advice do you have for those who want to connect via technology in a way that's productive? Because I know it could be a slippery slope. Okay. So I'm thinking of two things. Um, And the first one is means. And when I say means, I don't necessarily mean money. Uh, But again, I also mean money. Money is important to organize yourself and be able to, you know, just simply rent a room, for example, to sit down with each other. But when I say means, I also mean something else. So, for example, um, I remember oftentimes that um, I and my colleagues, we were invited as youth representatives to meetings um, with other stakeholders. So let's say someone from business life, someone from government, and then you had us, young people, right? And they asked us to come up with a recommendation about a certain policy uh, that they wanted to work on, for example. I'm just making something up now, but uh, (laughs) not the entire story, but the example. But what you often saw is that when they asked this, that someone from business life would say, okay, we have a research team that can research all the possibilities. Then there was someone from government who had uh, three interns that could research the recommendation proposals that they could come back with. And for students, we were usually studying full time. We usually had to have a job on the side to be able to afford all of this. And then we were doing this uh, uh, voluntarily on the side again. So at the end of the day, we didn't have a research team. We didn't even have the time to put into it. Um, We didn't have, uh, to be very frank, the expertise to know exactly how to Uh, word policy recommendations and how those systems exactly work. So at the end of the day, I don't think it's fair to expect us to come up with equal policy recommendations um, in comparison to those other groups that were present there. So I think in order to really involve those young people, it's important that you help them get the means to do so. And with the means, I mean, that could be time make sure that they can have some extra flexibility with their studies. It could be that you simply give one of your researchers um, um, some time to help the young people as well. 
or the youth engagement groups and like that you're also helping them to come up with well equally as good recommendations uh, as the other groups and the second one is um well one of the challenges is that representation should actually be representative um and this sounds silly again uh, i realize but uh, i i briefly mentioned the g20 conference um where all these large economies come together and you also have all the young people coming together. So I was there a few times during that, uh, at that conference. And basically our task is tell us what young people worry about so that we know what all those, the Donald Trumps or the Joe Bidens and, and, and at the time Angela Merkel, all those big leaders, what they need to worry about or what they need to talk about when it comes to young people. And we had a lot of young people from Ivy League universities, Harvard, Cambridge, um, also people from MIT, which is amazing. But then what you saw is that a lot of those young people didn't consult with other young people. So they asked us the question, what do young people worry about most? And all of a sudden we were talking about intellectual property rights. Now, I'm not sure, Jacqueline, if you have a lot of friends that lie awake at night worrying about intellectual property rights. I personally do not. In my experience in speaking with a lot of young people in the Netherlands, I have never ever heard one of them saying intellectual property is like my main worry as a young person. Um, but you see stuff like this happening because when you put young people at a position where they are a representative purely because they have a, a good academic uh, uh, credentials or they have a very good, I don't know, startup without consulting a broader community, um, you're risking to, to create new types of inequality, in my opinion. So, well, yeah, I think for a lot of groups, this is logical, right? I mean, Hillary Clinton is not a representative for women <laughs> as a whole. Kanye West is not a representative for the African-American community. But when it comes to young people, I feel like this is still a shift that we need to make and a realization that a lot of people need to get. Speaking of like, you know, obstacles and things, what are some key obstacles Gen Z and yourself um, have faced whilst trying to create tangible change and how do you overcome them? I absolutely, absolutely love that. I, it's like they already have a voice and this goes for a lot of groups, right? You're always saying, oh, we need to give young people a voice or we need to give this community or that community a voice. They already have a voice, but you just need to listen, right? You need to give them a platform. I, I really love that. I will remember this. Um, but I, I think also, and I can only speak for myself in this instance, but being able to do um, a lot of activism and volunteering, um, at least I think it, it, um, you need to have some sort of privileges in your life and able, uh, to be able to do this. So, for example, when I was a youth representative, um, I studied full-time like most students do. And the volunteering that I was doing was 25 to 30 hours a week um, without a pay. 
Now, I was lucky enough that my mother lives in a big city close to my university. Um, so I could live at home. I didn't have to pay any rent, which enabled me to be able to do this activism. But for a lot of people, this is financially, financially simply not doable. And on top of the financial side of everything, I think also um, just being able to speak the language uh, that people are speaking in a lot of um, governmental um, spaces also has a certain type of privilege with it. I mean, of course, you shouldn't have to be able to uh, know all the abbreviations that are being used and the jargon that you see that politicians use, for example. But I have heard from a lot of people that they feel like, you know, my Dutch or my English is good, but not on a level that I could be able to discuss a, a policy proposal or give recommendations to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs um, with the volunteering that I am doing. Of course, this is not true, but I think it's good for us to be aware of the layers um, and the challenges that some people face that we might not see when it comes to volunteering. I can offer my own perspective on this because I go to university here, but I go to a I go to a HBCU, which is a historically black college university that was basically created during um, you know racial turmoil in America and was created for as a safe haven for black students to go to school. And it is so crazy because when I when um, I'm invited to places through like being a university student, like as a representation of like an HBCU or my university, I go and I meet students who go to Harvard, Oxford, like, you know, the very expensive, prestigious, amazing schools who do a lot of great work. But it seems as though those students' voices become a representation of like all youth. It's not a youth activist. It's a very small percentage of youth in America who have that experience of that much, like, you know, privilege and, and wealth and so on and so forth, where uh, there's a larger majority of the youth who experience, you know, poverty and, you know, wondering where their next meal is going to come from and gun violence and just so many different things. So it, it bothers me when those few voices are amplified and made like, you know, the voice of the youth when their problems, which are very much important and I will never want to invalidate their issues, but it's not a great representation of the whole. And it seems as though publications and a lot of people who need youth voices always go there first. They don't want to go to the communities where, you know, those the, the activists may not have as much money or resources to be as like wide scale, but just need that one opportunity to just be picked and to be heard. And, you know, communities don't need, you know, leaders. There are already leaders in communities. They need platforms. They need microphones. They don't need, they don't need to be saved. They need to be amplified. Yeah, they don't need to be saved. They need to be amplified. And so something that I would say to, you know, any youth that are listening to this and want to know how you can be important in, you know, volunteering and organizing is that first of all, check your own privilege. Cause even myself, I know that although I have so many things that are adverse to me, there are some things that my parents have, have done to set up life for me to know that I'm privileged above somebody else and to make sure that I'm always passing off the mic and sharing their experiences 
as well. So youth activists and volunteers, make sure that you are doing that as well. What are you working on at the moment? So now I am just uh, enjoying my holidays, uh, which is great. But for me, um, what, I, what I'm doing and what I want to do is really make sure that uh, the voice of Generation said is really represented in those spaces where decisions are being made about our future. So on the one hand side, of course, this would be the UN or the European Union, for example, but also all the other uh, spaces like businesses, um, NGOs, education, and really make sure that in every room where decisions are being made about our future, there's a young representative, young person being meaningfully engaged and our voices are being heard. That's really, really cool. What are your goals? Well, yeah, I mean, just start. Uh, you're never too young to let your voice be heard. You're never too young to start up your own organization. And I mean, one thing that I like to say is don't pressure yourself to change the world. We live in a time where we constantly, even within the volunteering community, see people doing amazing stuff, traveling all over the world, going here and there. But sometimes even the most impact is made in a very, very local level. So you don't need to change the world. Just start local. Um, and, you know, every tiny bit does its trick. So, OK, I think this was a bit too long, but just make sure that you realize you're never too young to let your voice be heard. Thank you so much, Jakini, for have it in great hands. I'm so excited to see what you do in the future. And I'm so happy that I've met a new friend today. Um, and we will see you next time on What We Value. Bye, Chikini. Thank you for sitting with me today. No, just thank you so much for the conversation, Jacqueline. It was really, really cool. Uh, I, I really love this format. Uh, I think it's great that we have Gen Z discussing with Gen Z. I think a lot of the stuff that you said was really, really relatable. And I really felt it myself as well. So um, even besides like the, the, the podcast that we will get out of this, it was just a, a really good experience as well to meet you uh, and to have this conversation with you. So um, thanks again, Jacqueline. Uh, I really, really enjoyed it. Thank you for listening. If you would like to find out more about volunteering, tune in to our next episode of the What We Value podcast. Are you interested in getting involved and active yourself? Head over to whatwevalue.telecom.com to discover and support exciting volunteer projects across Europe.